I'm David Goldstein, Senior Fellow at Civic Ventures. I'm Paul Constant, and I'm a writer at Civic Ventures. Mondays, am I right? (laughs) Yeah, Mondays. Those are the days that the Congressional Budget Office releases its minimum wage forecast every Monday. I mean, here on the <laughs> West Coast, I woke up to a, a to an alert from the uh, from the Washington Post it said uh, minimum wage hike to fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty five would result in one point four million unemployed, comma nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office says <laughs> nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office staffed largely by Republican <laughs> appointees says. Well, we're going to get into that, but anyway, it was a hell of a way to start the week. So first, we should get into what the report actually says, aside from the, the scary headline. The report said that uh, $15 minimum wage would cost 1.4 million jobs by 2025. Uh, they said it would increase the federal deficit by $54 billion over 10 years and uh, would cause higher prices for goods and services. It wasn't all bad. The good side of the uh, of the report found that uh, $15 minimum wage would lift 900,000 people out of poverty by 2025, raise income for 17 million Americans, about one in 10 workers, and another 10 million who have wages just above that amount could potentially see increases as well, is what the report found. Yeah. So it's funny when we knew this was coming. We knew this was coming because we knew there was a, there was a CBO. A report on the minimum wage coming out, and the CBO always predicts job losses. And I got to tell you, whenever I see one of these reports, I'm reminded of that scene in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they they first see the image of Camelot in the distance, and they go Camelot, 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 and then Patsy says it's only a model. And to me. <laughs> That's the important takeaway that people need to remember that there are two types of minimum wage studies. There's the type that's a model that inevitably projects massive job losses. And then there are the empirical studies that never find them. And this is the former. This is one of those models that predicts that the minimum wage will cost jobs because these standard models predict that the minimum wage will cost jobs. That's just the nature of the beast. Okay, so Goldie just jumped into the deep end there. So uh, (laughs) we are going to talk about the report, what it's based off of. We also need to explain what the CBO is because that's not, uh, I don't think they're common knowledge and uh, how much stock we should be putting into these findings because listeners have been sending us emails asking us for our take on it. So Goldie, tell us about the CBO. What is the CBO? Okay, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, it is obviously an office of Congress, and its main job, its primary job, is to do budget forecasts. So whenever there is some sort of bill with a cost involved, they will project uh, what the cost will be, or if it's a tax, how much revenue it will raise, or if it's a tax cut, how much revenue will be lost, or if it's an entire budget, it should be projecting the budget over a number of years, two, three, four, ten years out. I They usually don't go beyond 10. Uh, so that's its normal job. That's most of what it does. And to be fair, it's not very good at it. Um, <laughs> 
And I say to be fair, because nobody's good at these long-term economic forecasts. It's really, really hard to predict the future. And the CBO is uh, no exception. There was a a great piece, I think, from last year where somebody uh, looked back on their previous forecasts, their budget forecasts, and compared it to the actual reality. And that beyond two years, they said it was uh, their projections were about the same as throwing darts. But that's, again, true of economic projections in general. Whenever you see these forecasts of uh, GDP or deficits or unemployment or inflation, especially inflation, we're always hearing inflation is just around the corner and it never seems to be. These are uh, economists using these very sophisticated economic models to predict something. And sometimes they're right. And more often than not, they're wrong. And the question is to what degree. So that's the Congressional Budget Office. So, yeah, you say it's hard for economists to predict the future. And we found with the minimum wage that sometimes it's hard for economists to uh, explain what happened in the past, too. So, (laughs) you know, it's a tricky, it's a dismal science. Well, they they feed into each other, um, which we can when we get into the weeds of this particular study, uh, we we can look at how the the failure to uh, analyze the past feeds into the failure to predict the future. So you keep threatening to take us into the weeds. So (laughs) why don't you why don't you start us out? Walk us into the weeds, Goldie. Walking well, actually, this is really very simple. Believe it or not, the math behind this projection is very simple. And that is uh, primarily when they are calculating a uh, the number of job losses they project from a minimum wage hike. And by the way, this is part of the bias of this. They're always calculating job losses. They're never calculating job gains. They just assume it's going to be a job loss. They're taking something which uh, a figure that's referred to as employment elasticity. And that is the likelihood that an increase in wages is going to result in a decrease in jobs. If you raise the cost of something, people will purchase less of it, as that old supply-demand curve from Econ 101 suggests. And the way that's calculated is elasticity is essentially a ratio of one percentage change to another. It's a ratio of the percentage increase in wages to the percentage decrease in employment. And if you get a number like negative one, what that means is for every 1% increase in wages, you will get a 1% decrease in employment. And that is a wash. If wages go up 1% and employment goes down 1%, then in the aggregate, there's no gain whatsoever. If the number is above negative one, or is that below negative one? If it's like negative one and a half, Right. That means that for every one percent increase in wages, you will see a one and a half percent decrease in employment. That is a loss for workers. That means you're you're actually losing total income. The decrease in employment would be greater than the increase in wages when you multiply the two together. What the CBO actually determined We disagree with the number, and many, many economists disagree with the number. The number they used was about negative 0.38. What they're saying is for every 1% increase in wages, you get a 0.38% decrease in employment. As a cost-benefit analysis, 
that tells you just from their elasticity number, that tells you that this is a net positive. That if you then multiply that by the number of workers who are affected and the percent increase in the minimum wage, which in some cases is more than twice, you actually get with significant more, significantly more income for workers in the whole with a $15 minimum wage than you get without, even given the unemployment that that accounts for. So even that the worst number, the 1.4 million jobs, that is purely a factor of the elasticity ratio. And that, because it is a number that is less than negative one, I don't know, is it more or less, more than negative one? I don't know how you do, how you say it when you're dealing with negative it, numbers. It depends cause... on how you're looking at it, right? If you're, <laughs> right? If, you're, if you're looking at it zero facing the negatives, then it's more than negative one. This so is we'll a go good thing, because remember the fundamental argument of the opposition is if you raise the cost of employment, people will buy less of it, employers will buy less of it, that it's a complete trade-off. It's an equilibrium system that, that they have to balance out. And what the CBO, even in this bad number, is telling you is, nope, they don't balance out. It's a net gain for workers. Um, it's not a net loss or it's not equal. It doesn't balance out. So in that sense, I guess you could say the positive spin on it is it could have been worse. It could have been what the <laughs> textbooks predict, but it's not. Now, this is where you get into the bias of the CBO. That elasticity number they're using to calculate job losses is totally off the charts compared to what's found in a spate of studies over the last few years. So it sounds like what you're saying is that they are going into this report with several fundamentally flawed assumptions, the kind of Econ 101 stuff that we've talked about on this podcast for a long time, where the, the assumption is if you raise the minimum wage, then it kills jobs. So they are going in specifically looking for the jobs that would be killed by raising the wage. Is, and, that, and, is that right? Right. And the way they determine that is by plugging in this employment elasticity ratio uh, and then calculating that against the increase of wages and uh, the number of, uh, of uh, jobs that this would affect. And that is how they calculate the uh, number of jobs that are lost. The question here is how did they come up with the elasticity number? And that's where the bias comes in, or you could say it's just subjective analysis comes in, however you, however you want to characterize it. But there have been a number of studies over the years, and there's been a number of meta-studies over the year that have looked at these numbers, and when you get and average them together, that list them all up. There's some subjectivity in trying to pick out the good studies from the bad studies. By the way, just like people do with polling, this is what 538 does when it does a meta-analysis of polling numbers. The theory being that while individual polls might have problems, when you average them all together, uh, you're more likely to get at the actual truth. And so what economists have done uh, progressive economists like Aaron Dubay, conservative economists like Newmark have done is they've gone through these studies that other economists have done, they themselves and others have done, and they've made some judgment as to which they consider to be the most credible studies. And then they, they put them all together and they come up with a median number, like a median or an average, in which I say, well, if you add them all together, this is the elasticity. 
Dubay, who's done a much broader study, and I think a lot of people consider to be uh, the foremost uh, expert on minimum wage these days, mm -hmm. uh, he came up with something very close to zero, that when you average them together, it's 0 0.04, uh, negative 0 0.04. If you plugged that into CBO's model, you'd have under 100,000 lost jobs out of 27 million uh, people seeing a wage increase. Uh, that's really, really good. When you go to um, somebody like Newmark, um, I don't have the number in front of me, but it's closer to negative uh, uh, 0.2, I believe. Somehow, CBO gets to something. And, and by the way, Newmark is the guy we fight with. He's like the one big uh, minimum wage economist who we disagree with. He's mm -hmm. the bad guy. And Somehow, CBO gets to an elasticity that's more than twice what even Newmark says it is in evaluating the studies. And they do this in a number of ways. They don't include certain studies, and they include others that others have ruled out. And a good example is when we were studying the minimum wage here in Seattle, multiple studies came out of the University of Washington as the data came in. They used the early study that was based on the, the first year or so of data, which suggested that there were very large job losses in Seattle. Uh, that they include, and that's a bit of an outlier compared to all the other studies. Weirdly, they did not include the final study in which the researchers found, eh, once all the data came in, it looks like uh, it was a net gain for workers, that there were some job losses for teenagers, but overall, the increase in wages far outweighed the uh, loss of hours or jobs. That's not included by the CBO, but is included by somebody like Dubay and Newmark. So they made these editorial decisions. And then they also did something weird in 2019 when they projected a smaller job loss. They used the median of these studies. In 2021, they used the mean, the average. And the average is higher because of outliers like that early Seattle minimum wage study. Yeah. And and Heidi Sherholtz at, at EPI, an economist at EPI, said that uh, the employment impacts of the minimum wage from today's report are about 25% higher than they would have been if they had simply used the same methods they themselves used two years ago. Right. So, so the actual method of measurement seems to have changed since they the last They changed time. From, mean, from median to mean. Look, it's very significant, for instance, a great example is with incomes. Uh, there's a big difference between median income and average income because we have so much inequality. If it was a much more equal country, they would be about the same. The average and the median would be about the same. We would argue they should be much closer together. In fact, they're very far apart because people like our boss really uh, messes up the average with how much money he has, right? So that's yeah. what... That's one of the things they did. And there's no real good argument for CBO changing their methodology. Even if they hadn't changed their methodology, there's a strong argument to make that they were still overweighting uh, job losses in their choice of the elasticity number they plugged in. And so you can look at their model and say, well, their model, it's based on standard models. It's not much different from what everybody else is doing. But as I said earlier, if you throw in an elasticity number uh, larger, again, I don't know, is it larger or smaller? If you throw in negative 0.38, you're going to get a lot more job losses than if you throw in 
negative 0.14 or negative 0.04. And, and, and I just want to point out very quickly, Paul, that this job loss number actually cascades through some of their other forecasts in this report. Uh, as the folks at, at EPI have pointed out, when they look at that, uh, was it $54 billion increase in the federal deficit, 80% uh, mm -hmm. of that number comes from increased costs for unemployment and increased costs uh, for Medicaid for the 1.4 million people that are going to lose their jobs under this forecast. So, okay. so if in fact, you know, you you cut the number of job losses by a tenth, but by 90%, if you cut it by half, you're going to get an equal reduction in those uh, in those costs for unemployment and uh, Medicaid and other services. The other thing it does is it reduces the number of people lifted out of poverty. Right now, it's just under a million. It's 900 and some thousand people lifted out of poverty. That assumes 1.4 million job losses. If, in fact, uh, the number of job losses is less, then more people are lifted out of poverty. So you'll have over a million people lifted out of poverty. So those numbers become a lot more positive uh, if you are using a more realistic estimate of what the job losses are going to be. So it's important to note, Paul, that there are a lot of recent high-quality studies that totally contradict the CBO's findings on a number of issues. Yeah, I was going to say, because the last few years, it seems like there have been just a flurry of studies on places like Seattle and, and around the country that have right. raised their minimum wage. Right, right, because there's been a ton of minimum wage hikes, and that has resulted in a ton of minimum wage studies. So, so what does that research show us? Well, first of all, on the issue of jobs, they did not consider a bunch of recent uh, studies that showed little or no job losses due to minimum wage hikes. And in fact, a bunch that showed a modest increase in employment after the minimum wage went up, which is something that I think anecdotally we can see on the ground here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. But uh, more importantly, I think uh, the CBO raises the issue of prices going up, something, again, we haven't seen substantially. In Seattle, there was a study that looked at grocery prices and saw no uh, increase in prices at supermarkets and grocery stores uh, after the minimum wage went up. And there's been a number of studies that looked at restaurant prices. And while there has been a small increase in prices there, it's only been between 1% and 1% increase in prices for every 10% hike in wages. So that's something I think most consumers are willing to absorb. Right. And there was also a restaurant study that showed that any increases in prices happen within a month of the minimum wage going up. So this isn't a matter of like creeping menu prices in your burger, slowly building to, you know, $25 uh, from $2.50. It all happens the month the minimum wage goes up as a regular cost. Increase. Uh, uh, right. And then, of course, there are a lot of people that point to the minimum wage saying, oh, if you raise it to $15, uh, restaurants are just going to uh, replace employees with uh, kiosks, and they point to this happening at McDonald's, but there was a great study on McDonald's recently that looked at McDonald's where the minimum wage went up and where it didn't, and the number of automated kiosks going in are the same regardless of what the wages are. So that's something that's going to happen one way or the other, whether you're paid seven twenty-five dollars an hour or $15. 
So you mean McDonald's franchise owners weren't just keeping people hired out of the goodness of their hearts because <laughs> the wage was so low? <laughs> yeah. These are trends that are happening nationwide, regardless of the local minimum wage. And the, the CBO also warned that there would be an increase to the deficit uh, if the minimum wage were increased. And that one seems especially iffy to me because it's based on the idea that minimum wage will kill jobs, which, again, most studies have shown not to be true. And so it seems to me to be built on a faulty premise. Right. 80% of that increase in the deficit that the CBO forecasts is based on rising costs for unemployment and Medicaid due to their job loss forecast. But uh, more so, there's a, a contradictory study out of UC Berkeley that says that the federal deficit will actually decrease by $65 billion a year due to increased payroll taxes and reduced costs from social services. That makes sense, because if 27 million more Americans are making more money, then we're going to stop subsidizing bad employers through taxpayer money spending on social safety net programs. Yeah, absolutely. You can you can think of a $7.25 an hour federal minimum wage as a subsidy to low-wage employers. Mm -hmm. And this would take that away. So just to, just to be clear... I also wanted to point out that that the the CBO's findings don't really reflect any of the recent research that we've seen on the minimum wage either, correct? I mean, we've seen, um, especially over the last couple of months, there have been a whole slew of studies uh, right. showing showing how the minimum wage has has uh, not killed jobs, created jobs, uh, has lifted people out of poverty, uh, and those those studies don't bear any relationship to the CBO, right? Well, they do in the sense that, that CBO has ignored them. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, let's, let's understand, this is how this all feeds together back into each other. These empirical studies of past minimum wage uh, hikes, that's allegedly the data that CBO should be plugging into their models. Right. So mm -hmm. when we're talking about these studies where they're using the mean instead of the median, it's of uh, past studies. They're not using current ones, which are even more positive uh, than some of the past ones. But the, so it feeds in on itself. If you find if these empirical studies find more job losses, then future forecasts from CBO should project even more job losses. If they find fewer job losses, uh, then you would expect CBO to projecting fewer job losses in subsequent reports. Weirdly, that's not what's happened. CBO has been getting worse and worse in terms of their job loss forecasts uh, since 2014, um, which, again, runs counter to what you just said. The more studies that come out, uh, the less of an employment effect, positive or negative, we see. It's somewhere around zero. There seems to be very little effect on employment from hikes in the minimum wage. None of this gets to why that's the case, why, why that confounds orthodox economic theory. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of reasons, one of which theory could be wrong, <laughs> but it just speaks to the reality. So just it's a little weird that they've gone in this direction. They're going in the opposite direction of the consensus of economists. So, Goldie, uh, let's say that my worst nightmare were to come true and you were to somehow be elected president of the United States. 
And your aide brings you CBO and says, we have 100% proof that the CBO report is true. It is accurate. It is exactly what's going to happen. Do you still pass a $15 minimum wage? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, In a heartbeat. I mean, if you take everything they project at face value, it's a net positive. It is the, it's a cost-benefit analysis that is a win for, for workers. 27 million people see their uh, wages increase, some of them by a lot. The net increase in income across low-wage workers is large, substantial. It lifts nearly a million people out of poverty. And all of these people who are earning more money will now be spending that back into the economy, which is a second level effect that this study doesn't actually analyze. So if you're just looking at it straight up cost benefit analysis, even these numbers, they're good. They say do the minimum wage. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this number is that we've been talking about the RAND report for a long time here on this podcast uh, and the transfer of trillions of dollars uh, from the paychecks of American workers to the super wealthy. And one of the things that I noticed about the CBO report is it said that the net pay going to U.S. workers would grow by $333 billion. So that's that's a third of a trillion dollars right there, which is right pretty good. It's it's clawing a, a significant portion of that back to American workers. Right. So we, we talk about this $2.5 trillion transfer of income and wealth annually from the bottom 90% of workers to uh, the top 1%, mostly the top 0.1%. So you're talking about that $330 billion out of $2.5 trillion. It's not nothing. And that $333 billion number, that's assuming the CBO is correct about its job losses. If it's wrong, we're talking at over half a trillion dollars back into the pockets of working Americans. And it's directed towards the bottom of the the wage scale, which is the people who inarguably need it the most. Absolutely. So we'll have a lot of uh, links and other goodies in the show notes for people who want to explore a little further. But uh, Goldie, what what should we take away from from this hell week of CBO numbers and uh, and <laughs> the doom foretold by the Congressional right. Budget Office? Right. Well, first of all, uh, so I'd say I've got kind of a three part takeaway here. This is how you should approach this. One, remember, it, it's only a model. Uh, it is incredibly difficult to forecast the future. Uh, and so, you know, keep in mind, they're predicting something. They do not know what's going to happen. It's hard to make economic forecasts. No economist is good at it. That's what. Second, the CBO isn't particularly good at making these types of forecasts. They, they have a spotty track record. Uh, again, I'm trying to be fair. It's very hard to do well. They don't have a history of doing it well on on any of these uh, areas. And number three, even if they hit it spot on, they are 100% right that everything they predict comes true. It's still worth raising the minimum wage to $15 because this is a net win for workers and a net win for uh, for the economy. It actually costs less than the benefits it brings. So yeah, that top line number, 1.4 million jobs lost, that sounds bad. In the scheme of things, not really. I would add, Paul, that saying all that, 
I feel uncomfortable being sucked into the same position as all the professional economists uh, in that, you know, I just play one on a podcast, uh, (laughs) in that we're having this argument over how many jobs will a $15 minimum wage cost? And I have to say, first of all, I don't necessarily believe it will cost any jobs. I think it's Mm -hmm. just as likely to create jobs as we saw here in Seattle. And two, it's always been the wrong number to ask. And that gets back to the idea of, do the benefits outweigh the costs? It's not simply a matter of employment. It's a matter of uh, improving the lives of workers broadly in the economy. And clearly, a $15 minimum wage would do that. So these things are always changing, and it's very hard to keep track of what's going on. But as of this recording, the Progressive Caucus has uh, secured the inclusion of the $15 minimum wage in the uh, stimulus package moving forward. It's not a guarantee, but it's a good sign that uh, they are behind this and that they are trying to improve people's lives as broadly as possible. And... uh... (laughs) Hopefully the Senate will sign on, uh, Lord Manchin uh, permitting. (laughs) No. (laughs) So the Progressive Caucus is behind it. Mainstream Democrats are behind it. Hopefully we can get Senator Manchin behind it. And uh, it seems as though the $15 minimum wage has picked up momentum among congressional Democrats right now. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.